Hi, folks. Uh, my name's Toby Lowe. I'm a visiting professor of public management at the Centre for Public Impact, uh, and I'm visiting from uh, Newcastle Business School, where uh, I've been working with a, a team for kind of four or five years to help develop alternative ways of thinking about doing public management work. Uh, and I'm going to talk to you today about doing public management differently uh, and explicitly explore the human learning systems approach as an alternative public management paradigm. So uh, what I'm going to cover today, uh, I'm going to talk about uh, uh, being a public service pioneer by kind of doing public management differently. I'm going to talk about the human learning systems approach uh, as a way to, to think about doing that. And I suppose my key message in all of this is if you're dissatisfied with the way that public management works, if you're a public manager or leader and you feel that it doesn't work how we're doing it right now, you have a choice. You can do public management differently. And so what do I mean by that? So just for those unfamiliar with the with the words, public management is, is just the way to describe how we plan, fund and deliver public service, but actually all forms of social interventions. So we can choose to plan, fund and deliver public service in a different way. And the discipline of planning, funding and delivering, we call public management. And the current way that we do public management, the kind of dominant thinking around that, has a name. It is a particular ideology created by a particular set of people. It's called new public management. It was kind of new back in the 1980s. Um, uh, described as kind of markets, managers and metrics. I won't dig into that too much detail here, but if you want to find out about it, do Google new public management. But the problem with the way that we the dominant way of doing public management at the moment, new public management, is that it doesn't work in complex environments. This is what all the evidence, there's so much research evidence about uh, looking at the effects of new public management and particularly how it works in complex environments. And what, what that evidence says is that it creates gaming. So it turns everyone's job into the production of good looking data rather than doing the job at hand. It creates per perverse incentives and generally makes the job of doing public service harder. And in some respects, the worst, the worst aspect of new public management is that it's relentlessly dehumanizing in that it strips away the complex reality of people's lives and essentially pretends that what is measurable about a person is the same as what's important about them. And this, it is this kind of process of relentless dehumanization that is at the heart of the problems of new public management. And we've known this for a while, right? So Sir Peter Houston, ex-head uh, of the civil service in Scotland, uh, wrote a, a pamphlet in 2016 called Rethinking Public Service. And in it, he describes the unconscionably long death of new public management. We know this stuff doesn't work. So it is incumbent on all those who are interested in change to change the public management paradigm because it constrains so much of what is possible in public service. So this is it. We have a choice about how we do public management. So what does that alternative look like? If we're going to choose differently, what might that choice look like? And from the, the perspective of the work that we've been doing uh, at Newcastle Business School and at the Centre for Public Impact, that starts by embracing the complexity of the real world. And so we've been exploring this uh, 
um, for five odd years now uh, in a series of uh, reports in partnership with a, uh, a social consultancy, consultancy called Collaborate. Um, uh, and as you can see, uh, we've, uh, there's been a series of two reports, first in 2017 uh, and then in 2019, and we've got a third report due out in spring 20, 2021. Uh, so we hope that that will be ready uh, in kind of April this year. And what these reports outline is this alternative approach to public management that has come to be called human learning systems. Um, and let me dig into this, uh, this idea with you now. So essentially, human learning systems as an approach to public management talks about three key changes in public management. Firstly, it talks about a change in understanding service purpose. So it says the moral purpose of public service is to meet human strengths and needs. And if it's not doing that, it's not doing its job. Secondly, it talks about a change in management focus in that the, the primary task of public managers under a human learning systems approach is creating the conditions for learning and adaptation. So under an HLS approach, if a public manager isn't creating the conditions for learning, they're not doing their job. And finally, it talks about a change in leadership focus because uh, human learning systems recognises that the outcomes that we care about are the products of whole systems working together, not individual services or programs or uh, projects. Um, and so, to create um, healthy out, uh, to create good outcomes, we need to nurture the healthy systems from which those uh, uh, emerge, and that that requires purposeful work that we call system stewardship. And I'll dig into each three of those ideas now in turn. So, being human. So. We couldn't do this work, we couldn't spend time alongside organisations doing this work without someone saying something like, well, this is just about being more human to each other, isn't it? That's fantastic, that's a chapter heading. Um, but what does being human mean in this context? Well, the, the human element of human learning systems is essentially making two claims. Firstly, it's a way to describe the moral purpose of public service, that everyone has the right to be treated as a full human being and to have their strengths and needs understood and responded to. And secondly, it's a way to describe the relationship between human beings and the world they inhabit. So it's saying that human beings are intrinsically part of multiple webs of relationships. And so to understand and respond to human strength and need is to see people as at the centre of their own complex systems. So what does that translate to in, in terms of the practice of public management? Right, it, firstly, it seems to pre, um, uh, create four principles that uh, public managers use when, when thinking about how to be human. Firstly, it means that um, uh, public managers respond to the diversity of human need and experience, because there are as many ways to be human as there are human beings. And so it requires a bespoke response to the strengths and needs of each and every person. And if we're going to provide that bespoke particular response to the unique strengths and needs of each and every person, we need a detailed understanding of that person's life and their context. And that requires a significant amount of empathy in order to understand and place yourself in the life of others effectively. It requires viewing people from a strengths-based perspective. So seeing them as fully rounded human beings, bringing strengths to whatever desired public service outcomes they're seeking to achieve. 
And finally, it means trust, trusting people with decision making. Because if you're going to provide bespoke responses as a public service, then there's really only two sets of people who have enough knowledge to say, we should do this and not that as a public service response. That is, those, those two sets of people are the personal people being served and the workers who have a strong enough relationship there with them to really understand their unique context. Only those sets of people have enough knowledge to go, okay, what this public service response is, is requires is this and not that. So that means you need to be able to trust those two sets of people with decision-making if you're going to be able to provide effective public service response. So and breaking this down in terms of the, the current divide in terms of public services, the kind of commissioner-provider divide, what that means for commissioners is funding and contracting without performance measures or key performance indicators. They are essentially a waste of time. They result in uh, um, uh, inefficient, ineffective public service in complex environments. Uh, there's a ton of research evidence to show that. Just don't do it. They, they're, they're the only the time that is appropriate to set targets is if it is possible to know in advance the particular things that will make a public service better. And it is impossible for uh, a commissioner or even the, with the most co-productive support they do to know what the right thing to do is in two years time it is literally impossible to know that and any target that you set is you, is is that commissioner saying i know better than the the person being served and the workers who do with them i know better what it, what is to happen in that person's life and that is impossible it's not true don't do it so uh, secondly, it says fund those organisations you trust to build effective human relationships with people. Because this, this whole thing requires effective human relationships. That's the kind of bedrock on which is, which is built. As a commissioner, you need to know which organisations are going to be able to do that effectively. For those doing public service, the public service delivery managers, this means case and workloads that enable proper relationship building. So it's no point giving a worker a caseload of 300 people if you expect them to have a high quality relationship with them that's that's beyond the capacity of any human being and uh, and secondly it means giving staff autonomy and skills to respond to hear and understand and respond to the strengths and needs of each person an example of that in practice from uh, from our new report uh, uh, kind of uh, we have 30 new case studies coming up, um, uh, is the Dorset uh, Integrated Care Systems end-of-life care support. So they have produced end-of-life care support that they describe as bespoke by default. So essentially, they have described a purpose for this service where they say, um, in my last year of life, help me to live well until I die. And that means that these public servants are having conversations about what really matters to people to understand their strengths and needs and give autonomy to their staff to do whatever it is to meet that purpose that they hear. So what matters is what happens. And this, they, and to check their understanding of this, they do shared sense making. So working with different with families to understand uh, the different perspectives on what matters. That's human. Secondly, learning. So in a human learning systems approach, learning is how public service improves. So learning is the meta strategy for, for public service organisations. So creating learning environments is the primary job of public management, public managers. So we describe this as optimising for learning rather than control in public management. 
And crucial to this is that learning becomes everyone's job every day. So everyone is experimenting with what the right thing to do is every day. Every encounter is a learning opportunity. And so the, one of the case studies is the, the Mori Wellbeing Hub in, in, in Scotland. And they will say learning and experimentation is a core feature of everyone's work. And they come together to do reflective practice uh, on a regular basis so that people can learn together effectively. Why, why do we need to optimize for learning in this way? Because if each person's unique and each that means that each public service response has to start with learning because the public service response needs to understand the life and the context of each person being served. And then when the world changes, like the world will change, we must learn what works and that person's life and their circumstances all over again. So this requires a strategy of continuous learning as the only effective response that we can imagine when we understand and acknowledge that the world is complex and dynamic. So example of, of what this looks like in practice, uh, the Liverpool Combined Authority and their approach to uh, commissioning homelessness services. So, and what they found through doing this work is if you want learning, so if you want everyone involved to be learning and adapting to the constantly changing world, you need to commission for learning. So don't commission with particular service specifications in mind. Don't commission to say you must do this, you must do that, you must do that in terms of processes or outcomes or anything that you set in advance. Commission for learning. And that what they found when they did this was when they created learning environments, that the process of learning together, the commissioners and the providers together, that built the trust which created the space for autonomy and enabling the adaptation to the changing world they found themselves in during 2020. And we've seen this idea of uh, funding and commissioning for learning uh, come out in uh, the role of uh, national governments as well. So I'm going to talk in a minute about the, the Finnish National Education Agency, um, uh, Healthcare Improvement Scotland as the uh, kind of national quality improvement organisation for the NHS in Scotland are pursuing a similar uh, approach. And uh, you can also see aspects of this approach in the work of the Foreign and Commonwealth Development Office in the UK government. So that's human learning. Finally, systems. So... Our starting point with all this is that systems produce outcomes, that outcomes can't be delivered by particular programs, uh, projects or organisations. And so a system in an HLS world means the set of relationships and interactions that combine to produce outcomes in people's lives. And so let's take a quick look at what that means. So this is the kind of systems map of obesity produced by the UK government in 2007. Uh, it shows the 108 different factors that come together to produce the outcome of obesity or not in people's lives. And you'll see them kind of summed up in areas like food production and supply, uh, macroeconomic drivers, education, media, technology, the nature of work, the built environment, healthcare and treatment options, and early life experiences. Right? All of these factors together, this system is what produces the outcome of obesity or not. And what we found through the human learning systems work is that it is healthy systems that produce better outcomes. So what do we mean by healthy systems? What we found through this work is, uh, is, a, is a kind of few points. Firstly, healthy systems are based on equality of voice. So if, you, uh, uh, if you're trying to enable uh, a set of actors to coordinate and collaborate together, 
then you need equal voices, particularly you need to do work to seek out the voices of the currently marginalised and underrepresented. Secondly, healthy systems are learning systems. So in enabling and enacting strategies for continuous learning, like we described before, that is what characterises a healthy system. And to create healthy systems requires purposeful work. So healthy systems don't just happen by accident. Systems that enable the actors to coordinate and collaborate together, it requires purposeful work to create those conditions. And we call that purposeful work system stewardship. Other things that we found is that commissioners have a key role in this system stewardship role because they dictate how the money, the resources really behave in that system. They are, are crucial players in enabling trust and autonomy. And so if we want those, that, those kind of qualities in the system, commissioners need to make the money behave in that way. And finally, kind of point that system change is self-change. So the characteristics of this, trust, curiosity, learning, aren't something that one person can do to another. If you want a system that displays trust, curiosity, and learning, you have to display trust, curiosity, and learning. Kind of example here comes from the Finnish National Education Agency and the, the Innovation Centre. And there's a, a accompanying video of me interviewing the, the Director General of, uh, of this. Um, and the kind of key messages of this are that um, the role of national government is to create effective local learning systems. So what national government does when working in a human learning systems way is to support the culture of local learning and experimentation. So the education agency plays a learning partner role for municipalities, schools, families, uh, not a controlling role. This continuous test and learn approach at a local level. So experiments to support child welfare, teaching method, employability. And the kind of, I suppose the final thing to say about this is this worked, right? Taking this approach to National Education Agency, Finland is the number one ranked education system in the world. So just to bring this all to, to a conclusion, you have a choice as a public manager. If you're dissatisfied with the way that management works, choose to do it differently. Choosing to do it differently means experimenting with a different management paradigm. So how will you create that experiment? Who do you need to join with you in making that, uh, making the space for that experiment to really fly? And as a, in the end, as a public service account, uh, as a public service leader, you're accountable for your choice of how to manage, and others are accountable for their choices too. And so you can make that accountability work for you by asking people to account for why they choose to manage in one way or choose to manage it in another. If you want to find out more about this, you can see more at the website, humanlearning.systems. Uh, I hope that has been interesting for you. Thank you.